Hi, I'm Kim, and I want to tell you my story. As we know right now, mental health is, is a big issue in our society, in our country, and we're hearing a lot about it. And I want to share with you my journey um, with mental health, uh, with anxiety and depression. And it began back when I was an elementary student um, and I remember having such anxiety that uh, my mom couldn't leave the school and she would have to sit outside the door and wait for me because I was so afraid of her leaving and that I would not see them again. And I remember at that age, uh, that childlike faith, where you would call out to Jesus and beg for Him to, to help you with that and to get through that and to take it away. And um, I, would, I did that for weeks and weeks. And um, every once in a while, I would feel like a sense of peace just wash over me. And, and I would think, okay, okay, I know Jesus is there. I know He's there. And then I remember one time, it was like a veil was lifted and the anxiety was gone and I was your typical uh, elementary student again and off I went. And um, things were great and I never experienced that dark place uh, again until I had my first child 25 years ago. And I remember going through a terrible postpartum depression. And that's when I felt the closest to God, um, at times of peace when I needed it, and yet fear at the same time. And it was like the God and the enemy fighting um, for, for me. And, but I knew that God was there and I knew that He would uh, get me through this again as He did when I was a child. However, as an adult, we don't have that same childlike faith. And uh, God was there and He kept reaching out to me, yet I let the fear and the anxiety and um, depression overwhelm me. And um, I, I remember feeling at one point, I was driving down the highway and I thought, I can't do this anymore. If a truck came along right now and, and took me, I would, I'm good to go, God. I just, I don't think it's fair to my family that I can't seem to get through this. And at that moment, again, a peace washed over me and I felt God's presence. And when I started relying more on Him and getting into the Word, then He revealed to me the next steps and where I needed to go. It wasn't uh, people that I needed to support me. I needed Him to direct me and point me in the right direction um, to physicians and counselors and, and all the things that we need to do to get through these difficult times. Yet He was, um, he was my rock. He was my sense of peace. It was not easy. Um, it went on for quite a few months before I finally felt that veil again lifted um, from me and knew that Jesus had it in control. So I had to let go and I had to let God uh, take control of that. And depression and anxiety is something that is, is hereditary in my family. Um, it's something that I'm very aware of. It's something that uh, still exists in my life. It hasn't left me completely. However, I know who to go to first and not to go to second. And when I go to Jesus first 
and claim the victory because he is victory, then I know that he will get me through yet another season of that. Um, I have to say that it has never been the way it was um, those two specific time periods, um, and I am so thankful for that. But what I've been able to glean from that is I've been able to take that now, and, and God has put me in a place where I've been able to speak truth to others who are experiencing the same experiences that I've had. And I am thankful for those opportunities um, and that He is able to use me in that way. So it's all for naught. As much as at the time we want to say, I just I can't do this, God has a bigger plan and we have to remember what that plan uh, could be is something so big that we don't even know. And I don't know where He's going to take me with this, but I know He's doing some incredible things and I'm seeing incredible things and I'm excited about the journey. Always remember that Jesus is your peace and the enemy is fear. So when you feel fear, you know that that comes from the enemy. That never comes from God. Well, hey, how we doing? Yo, what's shaking? Peace. Is that a gang sign? I don't know. Welcome, salut. You ever notice we have really weird ways of saying hi to each other? Right, you've done it tonight. You've already welcomed people. You've already said hello to people. And you went to your go-to greeting. It's the, it's the one you do every time. When you have to shake hands with people and we don't tell you what to say, this is your thing. For me, it's, hey, how you doing? That's terrible. That's the worst one because I just keep on walking. Hey, how you doing? It's like, oh, I'm really good right now. I don't give you the opportunity to respond. It's terrible. I did it to someone today. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I didn't answer you and you couldn't answer me. It's, it's weird. We're, we're sometimes not great at greetings. Sometimes we're really bad at the goodbyes, too. Like we have some really weird goodbyes, and sometimes it's just, hey, check you later. Have a good one. Au revoir. Sayonara. Hasta la vista. Sounds like I'm going to kill you now. That's not what I'm trying to go for. But I was at, I was at an Irving. This is two or three years ago, but I remember it clearly. I was in Irving, and the guy at the counter welcomed me with, Shalom. And I didn't know what to do. I've never, like, he didn't look like a guy who should say shalom. And, and so I started to say it just like, is that what you're supposed to say? And I was like, shah. And then I was like, I should just say hello because this is weird. So it turned into like, shallow. <laughs> shallow. And I left. It's a weird thing, right? Maybe you have heard the word shalom before. Has anyone ever said shalom to you before? And you're like, what is that, right? Because nowadays, people use it mainly as a greeting or a farewell. It, it works for both. It is hello, goodbye. And, and it's really the way we've used it nowadays is kind of just one of those vague, generic, generic kind of things that you say when you don't know what else to say, but you want to be... It's kind of like, God bless, or or less religious people will say, cheers, right? If I'm emailing people and, and it's, they're not like church people, that's how they'll conclude is cheers. And, and what it means is that this is just kind of a, I hope good things to you. 
I hope all goes well. It's trying to be nice, and sometimes we don't have anything better to say. It's, I'm trying to say goodbye, but I don't know you, so sincerely is a little much. I'm trying to say goodbye, but this is like a Kijiji inquiry, and so much love is a bit heavy-handed. <laughs> and so we, we say things like, cheers, God bless, or shalom. Some people say that, but what does it mean? Because shalom is a word that means peace, but it doesn't just mean peace. It, it means wholeness, it means fullness, it means completeness, it means that, that kind of all is well in all areas of your life. You're at good health. You have everything you need. You're not lacking anything. There, there's no trouble or stress in your way. It's kind of this all-encompassing idea of shalom. Because, see, sometimes when we say peace, we don't actually mean peace. Or, or we only mean one little part of peace. Right? So when... Sometimes when we say peace, or you hear about peace on TV, they talk about world peace. Well, that really just means the absence of war. It means the absence of fighting or terrorism, right? That, that would be a certain kind of peace, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're at peace, right? Like shutting down ISIS would be fantastic, but it's not going to fix your problems. So there could be peace, but not necessarily for you. It's only a part of peace. And sometimes maybe if you bring it a little closer to home, for some of us, we don't have peace because we're at work and work stresses us out and work gives us headaches and work is loud and we've got coworkers or we've got bosses or there's all these issues going on. It's like, I need peace. I just need to sit down and not think about anything. Well, that's not peace. That's a vacation. And, and, and even a vacation is only temporary. You're going to have to go back to work. Right? It's going to end at some point. So it's peace, but only for a bit. And some of you are like, well, at least I'm retired. Well, yeah, but that's probably still not peace all the time, is it? Yeah, there's all things, you know, surrounding your life that, that cause you to not have peace. Sometimes we don't have peace because of finances. And, and money's tight and the budget's tight. I don't have any more money coming in, but they keep asking me for more money, and, and I can't seem to put a dent into all of my debt, and it's really tough, and it's, I just need some peace. I just don't want to worry about this. I just don't want to carry this anymore. Well, that's not peace. That's prosperity. You know, the, the correct definition of prosperity is I have everything that I need. I'm not in want. Everything's covered. But, but again, that's not necessarily peace all the time. Listen, you can have all that you need and still be miserable. In fact, some people that we would consider really wealthy would probably say that comes with a whole set of headaches. I'm going to take their word for it, sure. <laughs> Choose your headache. So there's so many different ways that you can not have peace or have peace, but it's only a little bit or it's only temporary. It's never the full picture of everything. See, shalom is that full picture of, of everything. It's this wholeness, it's completeness. There's nothing lacking, there's nothing missing. It's, it's permanent and it's from God. So another way to put it is kind of like it's, it's what you don't have when you think you should have something. <laughs> it's, it's whatever that thing is that I'm missing. It's whatever that thing that I need right now. It's whatever the biggest problem in my life and, and that's gone, that's when I don't have shalom. I'm lacking something. I'm not whole. I'm not complete. I'm not at fullness. And so that's what we wrestle with. 
That's kind of what we walk uh, our, our lives in, in that way. It's just, I'm missing something. There's always a piece missing. Uh, are any of you puzzle fans? Does anyone, let's not be shy now. Who likes to do a good puzzle? All right. I remember as a kid, I loved puzzles. I loved them. I did the same like four all the time. So you just know where everything goes. But then you kind of grow up and you're like, puzzles aren't for like teenagers. You think like puzzles are maybe an older generation thing. You go to nursing homes and they've got a puzzle set out and you're like, okay, well, I'll do those again in 50 or 60 years or something. I don't know, right? Like, and, and so you don't see teenagers doing puzzles. When I went to university, no one was doing puzzles. Right, university kids are doing lots of things, not puzzles. Right, I didn't, I didn't ever see a party happening on the weekend where there was puzzles going on. And so I just didn't do them for a long time. And then it was a couple of years ago, one of my kids gave me a puzzle for Christmas. And it was one of those things like come to the church and shop for your parents with things that people donated to the church. So actually one of you got me a puzzle for Christmas a couple years ago, someone here didn't want it, and so now I own it. And so over that Christmas break, they were begging me, let's do this puzzle. Like, okay, we'll do the puzzle. And this wasn't a little one. This wasn't one of those like 24 piece, my little pony, let's wrap this up in four minutes kind of things. This was a 500-piece puzzle, and there were the little ones, and it takes you an hour to flip them all over to the right side and get it set up. And we did all the work, and we got it ready, and we started working on it. We, we did not, know. I'm working on it, and they're all kind of moving things around and flipping them upside down again. Their, their method was, let's just try this one, let's try this one, let's try this one. No, it's not how you puzzle. And so, like, six hours later, we are not remotely close to finish this thing. And so bedtime has come, and I put them all to bed, and I go upstairs, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to put this puzzle away. And I walk up to it, and I'm, it's just there, not done. And you see a couple pieces, and you're like, oh, they fit. And you're like, well, that's an edge piece. That's easy. I'll put that one together. So I sat down. You're hurting your back a little bit, right, leaning over. And anyway, so at 2.30, I'm almost done this thing. This is a true story. It's 2.30 in the morning. And you get to that stage where you're like, there's only 10 pieces left, and then five, and then four, and then you have the moment of terror when there are two pieces missing, but only one on the table. <laughs> and I start looking everywhere. I am like looking all over the floor, looking on all the chairs. I went down to the kids' beds to see if they had somehow gotten it stuck on them somehow. I'm checking the garbage. I am ransacking my own home at 2.30 in the morning. Had a burglar come to rob me, he would have been like, this place is taken, right? Like, I am destroying my own home. I never found it. I never found it. It drives me crazy to this day. Still, like, when the devil knows things are going well in my life and he wants to cause me anger, he gives me a mental image of that puzzle with a piece missing. This is how you test the thorn in my flesh. See, until it's completely finished, I'm not happy. Until it's complete or whole or full, I'm not. It's going to drive me crazy. It's going to aggravate me. Something's missing. It's not right. It's not okay. And that, that's kind of what it looks like 
when we don't have peace. See, shalom is the finished puzzle. Shalom is, it's full, it's done, it's finished, it's complete. And it's when we're missing things that we don't have that. It's really fitting, actually, that in some ways, peace is when everything is one piece. It's when all 500 things come together to make one, and, and everything's good, and everything's together like it should be. And so, in the Bible, when we read that God is our peace, it means that he's taking care of all of those things. That, that he's over all of them, he sees all of them, he's restoring all of them, he's using all of them. That, that nothing in God's hands will go unfinished. Nothing that God touches will be incomplete. He who started the work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's peace, knowing that God is over all of those things and he's using them and working them so that everything in your life will come together. God kind of gives us that peace when it seems like we're missing something. When something's not right. And so I want to talk about what that looks like to have peace, but even when you're missing a few pieces. I want to talk about how it's possible to have peace from God, even if it doesn't seem peaceful here. So our main story today is in the book of Judges. It's about a guy named Gideon. Uh, we talked about Gideon a couple weeks ago when he's the guy who took 300 warriors into a huge battle, destroyed thousands of enemies. We're like, yeah, Gideon. This is kind of like his origin story. If, if Gideon's life was a movie, this is the first one. We're not into the sequels yet. So Judges 6, and uh, we are starting at verse 1. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. When the Israelites planted their crops, uh, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. This is a great picture of people not having peace. There, there is no stability or wholeness or contentment in their lives. They have lost everything. Everything is in shambles. They don't have food. They're starving. Their land has been destroyed. They're hiding out for their life. They are not in good days. And so they cry out to God to help them. And maybe you know exactly what that feels like. Not on a literal level. I haven't seen a Midianite in Fredericton in years. But on kind of the general principle level, when everything in your life just seems like I am overwhelmed and exhausted with, with the pain, with the confusion, with the heartache, with the stress, with whatever it is, all this stuff is coming at me at once. It feels like it's piling on. And so we kind of feel bad for them because we understand what it's like, but it's kind of their fault. You go back and you read verse one and we find out that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so it's not that God made this stuff happen to them, but God kind of says, yeah, you reap what you sow. And he puts his hand up and just kind of lets these things happen to them. So oftentimes what we blame God for are things that we've actually done to ourselves. 
Oftentimes, the, the lack of peace that we have in our lives is something that we've kind of brought it on ourselves, not all the time, but sometimes. And we end up crying out for God. We don't always need external reasons to figure out why we're in this mess. Verse 7, God responds. It says, When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. He's saying, guys, you've done this before, and I've done this before. We've been here before. And in fact, that's actually the theme of the entire book of Judges is that the Israelites do evil and God has to rescue them. And then they do evil again and God has to rescue them. And then they do evil again over and over. In fact, that's really the ongoing theme of the Bible is that we are incapable, we are incapable of making ourselves good. We are incapable of fixing all of our problems. We are incapable of delivering the salvation that we need in our lives and we need God to help us. And so that's what's going on. If, if our goodness and salvation is left up to us, we will fail. And so even this whole idea of peace being self-inflicted, or maybe not, basically the bottom line is that regardless, if we're going to find peace, if we're going to get that shalom from God, we're going to need some help. Because I can't do it. I don't have what it takes to do that. And when left to my own devices, it's not going to go well. Verse 11. It says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. No, it's not. Which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So a, a couple things here. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. I have never threshed wheat. I have never wine pressed but those things don't go together. That's not where you do those things. Threshing wheat is a thing you do above the ground. A wine press is a two or three foot hole in the ground with rocks all around it. Picture a really deep fire pit almost. Threshing wheat you do in a field with a pitchfork and you're getting it all out and all the bad stuff blows away in the wind and the good stuff stays. I had to Google it, but that's what it is. And so he's stuck at the bottom of a pit trying to thresh wheat with, with no room. There's no wind. There's hardly any wheat down. It's not going well. You are not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. He's afraid. He's hiding. He's desperate. He's alone. He's doing what he can to try and stay alive, to make it happen. See, the greatest part about this is that Gideon's name actually means destroyer. If your Bible has a little asterisk by his name, destroyer. Oh, yeah. Hiding in a little hole, making shredded wheat by himself. <laughs> Woo. Terrified. And this is not a picture of a destroyer. This is not a picture of a man who has peace, who has it all together, whose life is complete. He is miserable and afraid and fed up and desperate. And it's not going to, he's going to get wheat in his wine and wine in his wheat. And it's going to go terribly. And then we get this in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. 
mighty hero. What part of hiding in a hole is mighty? What, what that is he doing that would give you the title of heroic? Like, did the angel have a straight face when he said it? And imagine getting that assignment from God. You're going to go tell Gideon the destroyer that he's a mighty hero. Perfect. Where is he? He's in the ground. Right? Like, mighty hero? But this is so great, though. He doesn't call Gideon a name based on anything that he had done so far, but it was a name that God had given him, and that's who he was. See, that, that's how it works. Gideon hasn't done any battling. He has not been a warrior. He has done nothing heroic yet. But God doesn't go, hey, cowardly farm boy. <laughs> he calls him a mighty hero because God knows who he created you to be. He knows what you are capable of. He knows how he gifted you. He knows what he's called you to do. And he has given everything to you that you need to accomplish it, even before you've accomplished it. He knows your real name. And he knows what you're going to do before you've ever done it. In fact, he prepares you for that task before he ever calls you to it. It's incredible. Just because you haven't done it yet doesn't mean that it's not true. Just because you aren't there yet doesn't mean you will never get there. God looks at you and says, this is who you are now in this moment. So Gideon is a mighty hero even before God has got him to do anything that was mighty or heroic. Right? Remember always that you are who God says you are. Not who anyone else says you are, not the titles that you've given yourself. So he calls him a mighty hero, but the part that might have been even more difficult for Gideon to believe is the part about the Lord being with him. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Oh, really? What part of my life right now would indicate that the Lord is with me? The part where we're starving? The part where our enemies has, has run us out of town? The part where I'm in the bottom of a wine press? Right? The part where they arrived on droves of camels? We got run out of town by a gang on camels? Who uses camels? Right? This has been the most humiliating, difficult, painful season. And the Lord is with me. Right. It's actually not too far from what Gideon says. Verse 13, I love this. Sir, <laughs> sir, I don't know what I'd say. In issue, to, to give him credit, if an angel showed up and said, hey, the Lord's with you, sir. I, like, is this, has this happened? Is this a business deal? I've been down this road before. He goes, sir, to me, he's trying to be polite when he's mad. You know, you know how you get when, when you're really mad at someone, but you're like, excuse me, sir, right? That's what he's doing. That's just my take on it. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? That is a line that I don't even have to ask if you have ever said it, because I know that you have. If the Lord is with me, why? If the Lord is with me, then why? Why am I struggling? Why is there pain? Why all of the troubles? Why am I in the bottom of a wine press? Why, why have you ironically named me destroyer when I am the one who has been destroyed? You've been there. 
Why, if the Lord is with me, is everything hard? And the angel answers him in verse 14. And this is where we find out this is not just an angel. This is the Lord. The Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Oh, destroyer. No confidence. He's like, no, I, I am the runt of the litter in my family, and my family is the runt of the litter of all the tribes, and our tribe is the lowest of the low. This is like being the worst bench player on the worst team. This is like, I can hardly sit on the bench for the Jays. This is kind of what's going on right now. Right? And you've probably been there to some degree where you thought, there's all of this unrest and pain and troubles and complications, and I can't fix any of it. I don't have what it takes to fix it. I know there's all these health things, and I can't heal them. There's all these finance things, and I can't pay it off. There's all these struggles at work, and I don't know what to do to fix them. And you just feel like I am the lowest of the low, I am not capable, and I don't have what it takes. And it's easy to believe that in those seasons. It's easy to let that stuff pile up in those seasons. But verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I love this answer because basically God says, your problems are not my problems. What you think is too big for you is not too big for me. The things you're worried about, I'm not remotely worried about. Because I am with you. I will give you everything that you need. In verse 22, when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And the altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. His response to meeting God in the middle of the hardest season of his life was to say that you are my peace. That's where he lands. That's the conclusion he comes to, that you are my peace. He has this face-in-face -face encounter with God, and, and God says, I'm going to be with you. You're not going to die. You don't need to be afraid. And that's all it took for him to go, you're totally right. And he actually, he builds an altar there to, to remember this moment, because I keep forgetting this, God. I keep forgetting that you are my peace, and I want everyone else to know and remember this. I love this because nothing in Gideon's life changed in that moment. None of his external circumstances got fixed. None of his problems miraculously went away. He was still on the bottom of a pit all by himself, and everyone was starving. The Midianites were still the meanest camel gang in the whole Middle East. Right? None of that changed, but internally, everything changed. Everything changed because of God for him. In other words, he had peace when there wasn't supposed to be peace. He had peace when there were still troubles and there were still issues. Peace isn't what's going on around you. It's about what God has done for you. 
Peace, then, isn't the absence of trouble. It is the presence of God. That's peace. That's what we learn from Gideon. Trouble hadn't disappeared. God showed up. And that's what gave him peace. Jesus himself tells us this hundreds of years later in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You can have peace and troubles at the same time. You can have a peace that only comes from God in the middle of all the things that you have going on in your life. Because right? we think, if I could just get all these things figured out, if I could get all of my life in order, everything would be just great. No, what you need is Jesus. That is what you need. And he will give you peace in the middle of your troubles. He will give you peace in the middle of your conflict, in the middle of your need, in the middle of your pain. He will give you peace even if you're missing a peace. That's what he does. That's who he is. See, we've been trying to attain peace in all the wrong ways. We've, we've been trying to fix what was broken. We, we've been trying to heal up what was, you know, hurt or pain. We've been trying to pay off what we owed. We, we've been trying to get stress out of the various environments that we live in. We're always trying to take care of the battle that's going on out there. We're always telling God, fix all these battles that are going on out there. And he's like, how about I come fix this? How about I fix what's going on in here? Because this is where you need peace. This is what you need in your life. It's not always just about what's going on out there. It's about do you have peace here? Uh, reminds me a little bit uh, of the little guy that we have right now. He's not yet two, but he is convinced at every meal that he wants to eat with full cutlery. <laughs> and there's no arguing with him. And so the other day, uh, we were having pasta. Mm. And so he's up in his high chair, which is white. Who, who, who makes this? Why? He's in a white high chair, and he's got a bowl in front of him with a fork and with a spoon with someone else's fork also. He's not wearing a shirt because this is not my first pasta rodeo. We have, we have done this before. And so he starts going for it, and he's eating, and he's actually not doing a bad job. He, he's, it's all kind of on the tray or on his face or his body or his hair, but there's not a lot on the floor. Nothing has really dropped on the floor yet, and so he's doing really well, and by the time we're done, he's orange. He's like an Oompa Loompa. Like he is orange in the face, and, and, and he's satisfied. It's been good, and he kind of moves his arm, and he watches a piece of pasta fall to the floor, and he is immediately concerned and upset, and he starts saying, look, except for him, it's wook, wook, wook at it, wook. Look at it. Like, he's just repeating himself. He's like, do you know what has happened? There's food on the floor. Who's in charge here? What adult was on duty when food landed on the floor? Like, he is upset. Look at it. And, of course, by this time, the dog has showed up and vacuumed it right up. It's been great. That's why we keep him around. Meanwhile, he looks like he dumped buckets of pasta all over himself. He's covered in the stuff. It's in his hair. It's everywhere. Everywhere. But he's concerned about the one little piece out there. 
walk at it. And it's this great picture of being so concerned with the, the little things out here that you miss the mess that you're in. You miss the real issue is that you're covered in it. And you're so concerned about all this external stuff that has no bearing on you. You need to be concerned about you. I imagine this is what it's like for God when we're like, walk, walk at it. Do you see my finances? Do you see my health? Do you see my struggles? Do you see my troubles? Like, what? who's in charge? Who's watching over this place? It's all going downhill, God. And he's like, do you see yourself? You're, this, this is not the, the concern. This is your concern. How about I come clean you up? How about I come fix you up? And we'll go from there. You need peace. Let's not worry about all those other things. How about we take care of this before we take care of that? That's what he does. Gideon didn't need anything in his life to be fixed before he acknowledged that he had peace in God. All those other things were all of a sudden not necessarily irrelevant, but not the main issue. The main issue is that he needed peace first. And this is why we have Jesus in the first place. One, one of the reasons is because even if all of the details of your life were in order, but you didn't have Jesus, you still wouldn't be finished. You would still always be lacking that one thing that would make you complete. You'd still always have that feeling of everything's what it should be. I've got everything in order, but there's still this sense of it's not right. I'm not finished. It's not done yet. Because the peace you are looking for is not out there. It's in here. We read this in Romans 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Right, so peace is something that Jesus has done. It's not, not, it's not anything I have done. It's not anything that I can do. But I have it because Jesus. And jump ahead to verse 3. It says, And we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. In other words, you can still have peace in the middle of all those problems. You, you can still have peace in the middle of those circumstances and those troubled days and difficult times. And, and knowing that even those hard seasons, that God is using them for you. They're, they're actually serving to strengthen you so that you're going to be even more confident in Jesus and more confident in your future and have more joy and more peace than you did before. He says, even in the hard times, I'm using it for you. Right, so we all thought peace is when all these difficult external things are gone, and yet Jesus says, actually, no, even in the middle of them, I'm giving you more and more peace. And you know what? That's when the world takes note. When your life is hard and everything feels like it should be coming crashing down, but you're still standing there on solid ground going, I got peace. That's when the world's going, why? How? How do you have peace right now? It doesn't make sense. If I was in your shoes, I would be a mess. Because right, it's not about my circumstances. It's about who I know and about what he's done in my life. It's a peace that comes from Jesus. It's a peace that comes from knowing that God has overcome the world. 
He has overcome all the issues I'm facing. He's already got victory on all the problems I'm going through. He's got victory over the things I haven't conquered yet. He's still providential, sovereign, good, and holy, supreme Lord over all of the things, even in the middle of my pain. I remember as a kid, teenager growing up, we used to sing a song called Romans 16, 19. Anyone? Says, yeah, we're not singing it. But I loved it, and we used to yell it out. Romans 16, 20 actually is the verse I want to highlight. And it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And then he wraps it up. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. It's just, it's just kind of matter of fact. The God of peace is going to crush Satan. It, it's done. It's over. The battle is finished. He just needs to wrap it up, and he will someday. But you know the part I love is that we get to do it. He says, under your feet. We get to be the one to just like, yeah. Because he's a God of peace. And all of Satan's tactics and attacks and, and stresses and troubles and all the things that are going on in our lives that weren't ever supposed to be there in the first place, someday it is all going to be made right. And the God of peace is going to once and for all obliterate our enemy and our troubles and our problems. He's overcome the world. And so we can have peace. And so I want to encourage you today that if, if that's where you are, if you're in a season where there's pain and confusion and heartache and difficulty, that, that even solving all those problems might not be what you need. You, might, you probably need Jesus to be your peace, to give you a peace that surpasses understanding, that, that gives you hope and joy in the middle of these seasons, that, that it doesn't make sense that it should be there, but it's there because God is the God of peace. He is the Lord who is peace. He is our shalom who is complete and whole and full for us because we're not. We're all missing a few pieces, but he completes that for us. And so I want to pray for you today. And so I'm, I'm just going to ask, actually, if you're here today and you would say, I am in that season and it's hard and I, would, I could use some peace. I could use that prayer tonight. Uh, could I just get you to raise your hands? We're just going to pray for you guys tonight. That's awesome. See, this is not shocking, right? This is the world we live in. This is life. I'm going to pray for you guys tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ and to invite him into your life and to acknowledge him as your savior. And, and he's the missing piece for you. He is the one who will give you peace and joy and hope, salvation and eternity. And maybe you've never said, I need Jesus in my life. And we would like to help you pray for that tonight as well. And so if you're here tonight, I'm just gonna ask again, if, would you raise your hand so we know that we're praying for you? And if not, that's fine. If there's anyone that says, I need Jesus Christ in my life. Awesome. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, you are good. And we're able to say that in a strong way because even though life is hard for so many people whose hands have gone up, we know that you're still good. We know that you're still faithful, that you are just, that, that you are working things out according to your perfect plan and your perfect timing. And so, Father, I pray for the people that are here tonight that did raise a hand. God, I pray that they would sense your peace wash over them in a new way, even now in this moment. 
that your Holy Spirit would be so clear to them and evident to them that you would carry them through this season, that you would give them what they need in this time that they're in, if it's comfort, if it's healing, if it's hope, if it's provision, if it's redemption, if it's just a, a reminder that you are good and you are with us, like, like what you said to Gideon, you're not going to die, it's going to be okay. Maybe that's what we need to hear from you tonight, Jesus. And so I pray that you would reaffirm those lives, that you would lift them up, that you would carry them through, and that they would be able to stand on you as a firm foundation. We are grateful that you are our rock, redeemer, our fortress, deliverer, and defender. And Father, if there are people here tonight that have not made a decision to follow you, I pray that they would simply say, Jesus Christ, I need you in my life, and I accept you as my Savior. And I know that I've not done everything right. I acknowledge that. But I invite you in to help make me into a new person and a new creation. God, I pray that you continue to change us and help us and encourage us all. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.